Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is lovely to be here. I'm Pam Pastor, your host for the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. And one thing, friends, that I know for sure is that it is never wrong to speak the Word of God. Speaking His Word out loud is one of the most influential things you can do for yourself your family, your community, your nation. So I will never, ever apologize for speaking the word of God through a podcast. No matter no matter how many haters hate on it, I just don't care. And I'm sorry. I say that out of respect and with love, but the word of God is truth. And I really hope that many of you are going to grab a hold of that today. So I am happy that you found me. I am happy that you found this podcast. But more importantly, I am thrilled that you have found the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, some of our pulpits, friends, are getting soft. Soft, like we're getting soft as a nation. I'm talking the truth is not being driven home from the pulpit. And you know, a really famous preacher said, when there is a mist in the pulpit, there is a fog in the pew. Now let that sink in because that is a critical truth. So you know what? I applaud you and I applaud your diligence. And more importantly, God blesses and honors those who diligently seek his word and then place it into action. Or perhaps you're a longtime listener. And if so, I just want to welcome you back and just congratulate you on the tremendous amount of faith that it takes to really hone in on what God's word says and then follow through by placing it into action. You know, we know there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we journey together, we'll be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter to transform. So I want you to be prepared to power up and your life is going to be leveled up as you join me and others each week as we explore all things pertaining to Jesus. And periodically, folks, we do delve into my virtual mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And I do want to bless us with the words of the Apostle John. This is from Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Now, as we prepare to enter into God's presence, that is my prayer for us too. Father, we humbly come before you today asking that this episode mine new depths within our hearts, allowing for revelation from your word to sink in. Scripture teaches us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what you have prepared for those who love you. Amen. Well, hello again and welcome back. You know, yesterday we explored the Apostle John's account of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life. I made a case for John being the disciple that Jesus loved. Why? 
It was because John wrote to us through firsthand experiences with Jesus. He, more than the other gospel writers, had an in-depth, innate understanding of what love and action looked like. Love is much like grace. It's unmerited and undeserved favor given liberally to God's children. We went on to review the miracle teaching of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now we know that Jesus loved the family of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. He had been in their homes many times. While this family knew what scripture taught, they also had heard many testimonies of changed lives. God's timing, you see, is significant. And it's dangerous for us to doubt or resent his timing. The question then was posed, what would make these two sisters question the will of God? And we learned Lazarus's death was not in the will of God. Jesus wept. This is the shortest statement held in scripture. Lazarus dying from his sickness had the hand of the enemy all over it. But Martha rose to the occasion and executed a profound statement of faith. She said, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus reassured her and supported what she declared by saying, your brother will rise again. God's delays have purpose. His delay here may have been so more people would experience the glory of the Father as Lazarus was raised up from the dead. While there are challenges in being Christ's ambassadors, there are too many benefits that far supersede any risks. And this brings us to Jesus's very first miracle. Now, this happened in the land of Cana. And if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We start with the next day, Jesus's mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus's mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Usually a host serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign of Cana in Galilee was Jesus's first display of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. 
Now, this story is especially important as we are fully emerged in the Christmas season. And no, I'm not advocating for more wine here. Jesus shows us that we're not to spend all of our time in work or in service. There are other things that need to be done during different seasons. And there are times when we must take time to participate in festivities. It's tempting to think we're slacking when we celebrate occasions with others in lieu of our most quote-unquote important work or our calling or our mission. But what we don't know is if the call on our life and our mission may just incorporate some of these times as was the case with Jesus. Jesus' mission was about saving the world from its sin, but how much more are we empowered now that Jesus came to earth and fulfilled the first part of his mission? Jesus wanted to socialize with people. After all, he came to be among the people. Weddings in Jesus' day were week-long celebrations. They were banquets where they were prepared for many guests. And the week was spent celebrating the union of the couple. The entire town was invited, and usually they all turned out. If people turned down a wedding invitation, it was an insult. In order to accommodate so many people, meticulous planning was required. In Jesus' day, and somewhat in our day today, it's un- there's an unwritten law or rule that exists concerning hospitality. To run out of wine was more than just embarrassing. It was a true social faux pas. In Jesus stepping up to the occasion, he was fulfilling a truly heartfelt need. Now, Jesus' mother Mary wasn't expecting her son to perform a miracle. She was hoping he would be able to help figure out a solution. It would have been customary for Mary to have asked her husband Joseph for help, figuring out a solution, but... It's thought that Joseph was already dead, according to tradition. So if this was the case, she probably was used to asking her son for help in certain situations. And Jesus's answer of how does that concern you and me? My time is not yet come. This is a difficult passage to understand. Along with Mary, we may not be sure what Jesus was going to do. But she trusted fully in his solution. She knew he would do what was right. And many of us, to believe in Jesus but still run into situations that we can't understand, nonetheless, we must continue to trust that he will work in the best way possible. And Mary ultimately submits to Jesus' way of doing things. She fully realized her son was more than just a human son. He was the son of God too. We often bring our challenges and problems before Jesus and we have premeditated plan for how it should all work out, how he should go about taking care of them. But we must be flexible in our approach, realizing he may have a completely different plan. We can learn from Mary to submit and allow him to deal with the problem as he sees best. So picture each ceremonial water pot in your mind's eye. There would have been, as we said in the story, six of them And when filled, each pot would have held 20 to 30 gallons. 
Now, the Jews followed ceremonial law, meaning people became symbolically unclean by touching objects of everyday life. Before eating, the Jews would pour water over their hands to cleanse themselves of any bad influences that were associated with what they had touched. And when people become Christians, sometimes they mistakenly think their lives are going to be boring. Jesus shows us that quite the opposite is to be expected. Oftentimes, people look everywhere but to God for excitement and meaning, and the expectation is that God is dull, uneventful, and lifeless, just as the wine Jesus made. He is the best. Life with Jesus is better than on our own. We can learn an important lesson from this miracle account, and that is to not wait for all options to be depleted before turning to God. Why would we ever want to save the best for last? When the disciples saw Jesus' miracle, they believed. Now keep in mind, this was his first public miracle. This miracle showed his dominion and power over nature and revealed the way he would go about his ministry, helping others, speaking with authority, and being in personal touch with people. So when you think of a miracle, what comes to your mind? A miracle is not merely a superhuman event, but they are events that demonstrate God's power. Almost every miracle Jesus did was a renewal of fallen creation. He restored sight. He made the lame walk again. He even restored life to the dead. We need to believe in Jesus, not because he is Superman, but because he is the God who continues his creation. Even in those of us who are poor, weak, crippled, orphaned, blind, deaf, or with some other desperate need for recreation. Jesus gives us a line of sight for his home base, which he established in Capernaum. During his ministry in Galilee, this city was located on a major trade route. It was an important city in the region with a Roman garrison and a custom station. Now, Jesus condemned the city for the people's unbelief. Listen to what Jesus says in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 21 through 24. What horrors await you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have set in deep repentance long ago, clothed in sackcloth and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I assure you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on the judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum will be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here today. I assure you, Sodom will be better off on the judgment day than you. Wow, Jesus sounded like he was angry. You may be familiar with the ancient cities of Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. They all had a long-standing reputation for being wicked. Each city was destroyed by God for its evil. Now, the people at Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum saw Jesus' first-hand miracles, and yet they stubbornly 
refuse to repent of their sins and believe in him. Sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? Jesus said that if some of the wickedest cities in the world had seen him, they would have repented. Because Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum saw Jesus and they didn't believe, they would suffer even greater punishment than would the wicked cities that didn't see Jesus. Similarly, nations and cities with churches on every corner and Bibles in every home will have no excuse on Judgment Day if they do not repent and believe. Jesus went on speaking in verse 25, offering up a prayer. He said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. Jesus mentioned two kinds of people in his prayer, the wise and the clever, arrogant in their own knowledge, and the childlike, humbly open to receive the truth of God's word. We must make sure that we're not wise in our own eyes, and we need to seek out the truth in childlike faith. This will help us to realize only God holds all the answers to life. Folks, I've given you a lot to think about, but if you've not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. It is the only pathway, the truth to get into the kingdom of heaven. There is no other path. When we place our trust in Jesus' finished work upon that cross at Calvary, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was then placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. Now, this is a grace gift that we can never repay back to Jesus. However, what we can do is show him our gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our connection daily. And folks, I have heard many people say, yes, I believe Jesus was a prophet. Yes, I believe Jesus was a high priest. But when it comes to the son of God, they just can't seem to make the leap. They can't just connect the dots. I'm telling you, friends, the Bible says Jesus Christ is and will always be the Son of God and that He is the way to saving salvation. Now, if you doubt me and you think I'm wrong, so be it. But friends, if I'm right, you're going to have saving grace. You're going to have eternal salvation. Doesn't that matter to you? Ask yourself, where I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. Where do I want it to be? That's really the question of the day. So friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you to take a bold step of courage and strength by openly confessing this eternal salvation prayer after me. Father God, I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and doing life. Jesus, you're invited to be the king of the throne of my heart permanently. I'm confessing your shed blood washed away by past, present, and future sin upon the cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Now, your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is what 
God did for me. God told me, get to know my son, Jesus. I had spent 20 years in pharmaceutical sales at that point, and he called and he sought me out. Friends, I even tried to get into real estate. We have 80,000 people in Arizona alone that are in real estate. I passed the national test, but not, or excuse me, the state test, but not the national test. I was like two points off every time I took it. There's a reason for that, friends. God had more important work for me to do. He wants me to be speaking his word and getting his truth, at least at a minimum to my family. So that is the call upon my life and that is what I'm doing. We all have a call. We all have a purpose. We can all promote and and be loving and kind and put God into every occupation that we do. That's not what I'm saying. We're not all called to be working in the church. We're called to be working in the world, bringing people to get to know Jesus Christ. So friends, I just ask that you allow Jesus to have saved you through that prayer of salvation. And if so, allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. I do a special child talk series on Wednesdays, and I invite you to tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories you may have grown up with. And join me as we continue to discuss and share Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. Some of the topics we discuss center around biblical forgiveness, Jesus's teaching parables, his miracles, and his message and ministry, in addition to the harmonization of the four gospels. This is an open invitation for you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark together on an adventure of exploration of all things pertaining to Jesus. And if you like this episode and want to hear more, make sure to subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And if you want to go back into the archives and check out any previous episodes, there's a whole series on different religions and how they stack up comparing to Christianity. I highly recommend you check them out. And if you're interested in being a guest, send me an email at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And finally, folks, occasionally I do reference material right from my book. It has the same name as the podcast, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find the content to be inspiring, compelling, or perhaps wish to go deeper with a rigorous study of your own, you can pick up a copy of this book from pampastorcopywriting.com or at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'm not just trying to sell books. I'll get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed because the book is full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. So until next time, remember you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. Until next time, God bless you.